0: Well, good evening church. How's everyone tonight? My name is AJ McGraw. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the newest pastors on staff at Grace Covenant. Thank you for that. That really helped me. Uh, I oversee our small groups ministry and in that role I get to work with some of the greatest leaders in the church and our small group leaders. If you're not in a small group, go get in a small group. If you're waiting for a sign from God, whether you need to lead a small group or not, here's your sign. You need to lead a small group. That's my plug. Sorry, Pastor. Uh, I want to welcome those watching online tonight, our online family and community. Thank you for joining us on the live stream. If you're watching the podcast later in the week, thank you for being a part of this family and uh, joining in what we're trying to do here at Grace Covenant. It matters that you join us online. I'm really honored to be here with you tonight. Uh, before I begin, though, I'm gonna give honor uh, to Pastor Brett and Pastor Jim. You know, respect is earned, but honor is given. And these are two men that have both of my respect and my honor. They're building really faithfully here at this church in the congregation and the staff and in everything they're doing outside of these walls, and we are really blessed to eat at the table that they've prepared for us. We get some of the finest teaching and leadership training from them, so thank you for all that you do for us, and thank you for the opportunity to serve and build alongside you. I guess I'm just feeling a lot of gratitude tonight, which is good because it's November and we're in the middle of a gratitude series. If you're here last week, Pastor Stephen Law started this series uh, talking about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a man who had everything that speaks the language of our city. He had money, power, and influence, but at the notion of getting to see Jesus humbled himself by running, climbing a tree, and then giving away half of all that he had to pay back his wrongdoing. It was his journey of gratitude. Tonight, I want us to look at how we can give thanks in all circumstances. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Zacchaeus had a journey of gratitude, but Zacchaeus had so much. And maybe you're like me, and you're not quite like Zacchaeus. You're not swimming in money. You're drowning in problems. Maybe you're not blessed with power, but you're burdened by responsibility. Maybe you're not where you want to be. You're just where you are, and you don't know how to get out of that place, and you're stuck there. How can we... In the middle of real life, in the middle of real circumstances, give thanks in all circumstances. And my proposition is because we can have hope in all circumstances. That's why I titled this message, Keep Calm, Give Thanks, Have Hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just invite your Holy Spirit into this moment, that we could hear your voice, that you would move on our hearts and that we would be inspired by the hope and the offer that you have for us in your son. Amen. So I mentioned I'm the newest pastor on staff, um, and my journey into ministry was a long one. It had ups and downs like anybody's story does, but it is a journey that produced something in me that wasn't there at the beginning. I spent 10 years as a management consultant for companies like Booz Allen, Hamilton, PricewaterhouseCoopers, uh, consulting to the government, doing work like strategy, customer experience, benchmarking. Stay awake. Stay awake. I know it's not that exciting, but it was meaningful work, right? It was what is the best of industry and how do we get it into the government to be better, faster, stronger, all those things. Uh, and I liked that work. It was meaningful work. It was public service type of work, and, it, and, and I truly believe it helped our clients be better at what they're doing. But I knew it wasn't my end. And I remember when I started at PwC, uh, I had a meeting with my partner, a one-on-one. My partner is like my boss's boss's boss. She, She is responsible for the business and the account on which I was a part of. And she's a phenomenal businesswoman and a great leader and a really great friend. Um, But when she sat me down for this one-on-one, she wanted to know, you know, welcome to the team. What are your career goals? What are your aspirations? Where do you want to be five years, 10 years? And how can I help you get there? And uh, I answered honestly, and I didn't think much of it at the time, but I said, you know, hey, I'm really glad to be here. Uh, I like consulting, but I know that it's not where I'm going to be forever, and I can't wait for the next chapter in my life. If you didn't catch that, what I said was, thanks for having me here. I can't wait to quit. (laughs) She was like, hi, welcome to the team. Where do you want to be in five years? And I was like, not here, somewhere else. (laughs) We call that a career-limiting move. I don't recommend that you follow in my example uh, in that. Tonight, I'm going to use a lot of words like trial and journey and suffering, and I'm going to use my story by way of introducing myself, but also to unpack the scripture and the concept that we can give thanks because we have hope. And I don't mean to imply that my story, the last 10 years, were the worst times of my life or I suffered worse than anybody else. It's nothing like that. But I hope that you can hear the principles that I'll share from and you'll relate them to where you're at. I know we got real people in this church right now going through real things, walking through some of the hardest seasons of your life, walking through things you never thought you'd have to go through, somewhere where you never thought you'd be, and it's not where you had planned for yourself. So I think you can relate to my feelings of being almost torn apart at the seams, like where I am is not where I want to be. What I'm doing now is not what I want to do. God, where are you in this? Why won't you just take me out of it and put me where you want me? I can't be meaning to be here? Where are you in the middle of it? Where is my very present help in my time of trouble? And I think the answer lies in what is being produced in us along the way. And I want to look at Paul's letter to the Romans to help us get some clarity on this topic. Uh, So if you would turn with me to Romans 5, Romans 5, we're going to look at the first five verses here and we're going to see how we have hope. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5, it'll be on the screen if you uh, haven't gotten to it yet. Paul says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. But more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. Anytime there's a therefore in scripture, you got to find out what that therefore is there for. Thank you, Pastor Tellus. So Paul is writing this letter to the churches in Rome. Obviously, it's called Romans, uh, but he's writing to them ahead of his journey there. He's actually on his way to Spain, and he's going to stop by the churches in Rome. He hasn't been there yet. This is the end of his third missionary tour. He's done many, many years of ministry. His thinking on things has matured, and he writes this letter to the Romans ahead of what is going to be a global campaign to plant the church. If you've read Romans, you know it's one of the most systematically written books in Christian literature. It is uh, dense, it is rich, it is wonderful, and a lot of our theology comes right out of this book because of the way that Paul writes it. In this case, one of the reasons that he writes it is to unite Jews and Gentiles in the faith together, that this Christian faith applies to all, not just to some. And one of the ways that he does that in chapter 4 is he uses Abraham as an example. And he speaks on how Abraham was justified by his faith before any act, work, or ritual ceremony. In fact, what he says, and he actually references Genesis 15, he says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed and so it was counted to him as righteousness. His point is that salvation by faith extends to us all, Jew and Gentile. Then we get to chapter 5, verse 1, therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever you're at on your journey tonight and you're on a journey, wherever you're at in your relationship with God, your walk with him, him, whether you don't believe there's a God at all, you just came tonight for the free pizza, you accidentally sat down in here and now it's too awkward to get up and leave so you're stuck, whether that's you, and if it is, come find me because that would be amazing, Or whether you're a pastor on this staff and this is your full-time calling and your full-time mission, you are on a journey and that journey is producing something in you. Whether you like it or not, it's producing something in you. You're developing, you're growing, you're producing skills, habits, routines as a result of that. You can be in control of that or not, but it's happening. In this moment, Paul is telling us what our faith produces. And the first thing he says is that it produces peace with God. And that makes sense, right? If our sin puts us at odds with God, we're outside of his law and his commandments, then we are opposite God. And our faith would bring us peace. A faith that says, God, I believe that you're real. I believe that you created the heavens and the earth and all the life therein. I believe that you came to earth in the form of a man, fully God, fully man. You lived a perfect, sinless, blameless life. I believe that you died on a cross Serving as the atoning sacrifice for my sin. Faith that says, not only do I believe you live and died, but faith that says, I believe you resurrected yourself, proving that you're God. And that is what I'm standing on. Faith like that puts you at peace with God. And more than that, it gives us access to his grace. In verse 2, he says, through him we have also obtained access by faith, into the grace in which we stand. You've heard the phrase, we're saved by grace through faith, right? Faith is access to God's grace. At one point in time, we existed in the presence of God, in his garden, in the garden of Eden. And by our sin, by the sin of Adam and Eve, we were pushed out of the garden, out of God's presence. Our sin had created a divide between us and God. And we were no longer allowed in his presence except for by ritual ceremony and cleansing and purification, and there was this thick veil that separated the presence of God from man, and only a select few, after very um, litigious uh, ceremonies and purifying, could only some get into the presence of God. But then, Jesus, as he hung on a cross... And he surrendered his spirit unto God. The sky darkened, the earth shook, and that veil that separated us from him tore from the top to the bottom. And now we have access to the grace and the presence and the redemptive power of God by him. Faith gives us access to God's grace. And as a result, Paul says, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And I was really tempted, and I'm still tempted, to end our message right there. (laughs) Go out on a high, we feel good, but I think we all know the reality is we don't always feel all of that presently. What do we do when we're walking through the trials of life and those things aren't as present as we want them to be? They seem distant, or maybe I've never really chosen to believe that. At church, it's really fun to focus on Luke 6, 38. Give and it'll be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Love that. That's how I made my Slurpees. You'd, you'd fill it up, you'd shake it down, you press it together, you get another inch or two in there, then you put the cup on it so it can be pouring over it, right? That's what I've always thought about when I heard that verse, and now it's all you will think about as well. That is my gift to you. But what if every good measure that you give gets returned with negativity and criticism? What if it's not your blessing that's pressed down, it's you that's under pressure? What if your favor is not running over, you're overwhelmed, you're over it, you need a change of scenery, I need a new job, a new church, a new relationship, a new small group, those people offended me, come on, we're in church, tell the truth, we act like that, we feel like that. So Paul says, more than rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, we rejoice in our sufferings. Perhaps you're going through a trial today. Maybe you're trying to heal from infidelity in your marriage, or you're alive in a marriage that feels dead, or you're not married at all, and you're just praying, God, give me the problems of a married person. (laughs) I would be happy to have that. Maybe you don't have the kids that you wanted. Maybe you lost a child or, or you can't have kids and there's a yearning and a desire in your heart that goes unfulfilled. Perhaps anxiety has a hold of your life. Fear grabs you and you battle with depression and you just want to be set free from that. Maybe you're just stuck where you're at and you haven't seen any progress and you don't know where you're going or why you're going or what you're doing here. Man, we feel that. These are the real trials and real journeys that we walk through. How do I give thanks to God in the middle of a circumstance like that? See, I know our God is good. And I know he's a God of strategic positioning. He's got you where you are for a reason. And he's not going to move you until you fulfill that purpose. So we need to take a look tonight at what our journey is producing in us. So I mentioned I work for these companies and I had a number of different clients all around Northern Virginia and D.C. So there was a lot of travel involved and it's one of those Northern Virginia commutes that many of you have this very day. And it's the battle right? It's just a battle out there. Every day you're stuck. You're not getting where you want to go. There's no faster route. Every way you've tried it, I'm going to all these sites. And for whatever reason, everything is an hour away from each other in this area. No matter which way you go, everything takes an hour to get to. And you just grind in that. And that was my life for 10 years, grinding, stuck in the car. Stuck in traffic, waiting for a train, sitting there thinking, this is what I'm doing with my time? Two to three hours a day, I've got to be stuck in this car, listen to some garbage talk radio, just trying to get home. I mean, Joy has a killer and her name is Route 66, Right? (laughs) I mean, if interstate highways had three digits, they would just route 666 and we would just call it a day. I guarantee they had to do two digits because it's just the way it is, you know. And I could have let that steal my joy. And you can let it steal your joy. You can arrive to work every day in a bad mood, treat your coworkers bad. You can arrive home every day in a bad mood, treat your spouse and kids bad. Or you can get control of your situation and look at what God is producing in you along the way. I didn't waste that time on 66. I went to seminary on 66. I listened to sermons on 66. I listened to my Bible on 66. I prayed every day on 66. I was getting right with God because I know this is not all he had for me. And when he's ready for me, I want to be ready for him. They say, if you stay ready, you never have to get ready. And that was my heart. God, prepare me now so I don't have to get ready later. And that same calling is on your life. God has a purpose and a destiny for you. He's not done with you, whether you feel like he is or not. You're still here, aren't you? If he was done with you, you wouldn't be here, right? But you're still here. You're still standing. God has a purpose for you. He's not done with you yet. So let's look at what he's producing along the way in our trial and in our suffering. Because our sufferings always produce something in us. There's an element to overcoming. There's grit. It's endurance. In fact, that's what Paul says in verse 3. I rejoice in our sufferings because sufferings produce endurance the endurance to overcome. This is steadfastness or patience. It's the idea that I'm standing firm, I'm enduring trial, I'm patiently waiting for God to move because I know he's gonna. I know he's not done with me yet. Though my sorrows last through the night, my joy is gonna come in the morning. The reality is you're gonna get through your trial. You're gonna get through your trial. It just depends whether you're gonna overcome to it Overcome it or succumb to it? Are you going to overcome it or succumb to it? Are you going to let it develop something good in you? And that is a matter of perspective. And if we look at Paul's perspective in Romans 8, verse 18, he says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not even worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. For this, I will endure. For this, I will rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and I will rejoice in my suffering because this present time is nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to me. Are you going to overcome your trial or are you going to let it overcome you? Because endurance produces character, character that is proven. In fact, the word here means something that's tried and tested, something proved. And you can read it that suffering produces endurance and endurance proves who you are. Because the character that comes out of you is the character that's already in you. My wife and I have a a two-and-a-half-year-old named Logan that I think we might love too much. Um, But we had him... About nine months before, two of our best friends got pregnant. They got pregnant at the same time. They had their babies a day apart. And um, their husbands were asking me for advice, right? And I was a professional dad. I had a three-month-old, so I had a lot of advice to give. But what I told him was, you know nothing of sleep deprivation, You know nothing of it. You can do an all-nighter. You can go serve 180 New Year's Eve and stay up all night and you can be fine. I got it. That's what I thought. My expectation was I can do all-nighters. It'll be fine. Now, I can't do an all-nighter all week. And I can't do an all-nighter all week for a month and for two months and for three months. And so there's a reason sleep deprivation is a torture. Because it's torture. And I told them, what's going to come out of you in those moments is your true nature. When you're up again at 3 a.m. after getting about 30 minutes of consecutive sleep, after you're trying to get a baby who's hungry but won't eat, who's tired but won't sleep, you're trying to figure out what do I do other than bang my head against the wall, your true nature is going to come out, and that's what you'll reveal to your wife. And I said, learn from me. (laughs) Fix that now. (laughs) Get before God and get as right with him as you can, before that time comes so that what comes out of you is grace and patience and love and not snark and anger and bitterness. When your struggle is done, when your trial is over and you're going to get through it, it's going to come to an end. It may not feel like it is, but it is. I can promise you that. Are people going to look at your life and go, I'm sorry, wait, what, you were a Christian (laughs) during all of that? You're going to tell me now that you're a Christian? Or are they going to look at your life and go, Hey, who is the God that they serve? How could they walk through that, hold their head up high, not talk back, not gossip, treat people well? Who do you serve? What is in you? Because the character that comes out of you is the character that's already in you. And if what's coming out is not what you want, it's time to start looking at what you put in. This is why discipleship is so important. This is why small groups are so important. Walking through life with other believers. Iron sharpens iron and man sharpens man. Being around other people to sharpen yourself, to share your stories, to laugh, to grieve, to walk, to wonder, to live your life together. This is why it's so important because that produces godly character in you and that the character that then will come out of you will produce what Paul says, hope. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Hope that does not let you down. 18th century philosopher Philip Schaff. I know you knew who he was, but I just wanted to tell you because I knew who he was before this. Philip Schaff says this about hope. Hope, like faith and love and every other Christian grace, is never done in this world. It's always growing. And as it bears flower and fruit, its roots strike deeper. Its stems and branches expand. Every progress in Christian life strengthens its foundations. If you're like me and you don't know a whole lot about 18th century Swiss theologians, but you know a whole lot about Shawshank Redemption, I've got a quote for you as well. (laughs) Hope is a good thing may be the best thing, and no good thing ever dies. Hope will sustain you eternally if the source is eternal. Hope in eternal things is eternal, but hope in temporary things is temporary. And when it's gone, so too will be the thing that you hope in. Either way you look at this from Paul, Either way, he arrives back at hope. In verse 2, he says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and in our sufferings because our sufferings produce hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame. It means hope doesn't let us down. Putting our faith and staking our reputation on temporary things let us down. When we boast that our football team is going to win the Super Bowl, or the, just the division, we'll take a division. When we boast that our football team is gonna win the division, when they don't, if you have friends like I have, they put that back on you, right? Because I got Philly friend, fans from Philadelphia and Dallas. They're not from Dallas, they're never from Dallas. No Cowboys fan is from Dallas. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no. yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> They put that back on you, right? And they shame you for it. Ah, you said, you know, this is going to happen. And then, And you know, then you feel silly. But we have a hope in a constant, unchanging, perfect God. A God that when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny who he is. It, his, it, it is his essence to be Faithful. That's what we put hope in, and we have evidence of that by the Holy Spirit. This is not something that's dead and buried long ago. It's alive and active today. Jesus died once, and he raised once. He didn't die another time. He's alive and active. The Holy Spirit is alive and active. And whether we feel like he's present in our life, whether we feel like the blessing of God is on our life, there are eternal things that he has given us that will never change. He has given you identity. He has called you a son and a daughter. He has given you purpose on this earth. He's offered you salvation by way of forgiveness. He's given you a source of joy that has no end. Grace and mercy and hope. In his glory, our hope lies in God himself, who proved his love for us on the cross at Calvary. And when he departed the earth, he left us his spirit to help us. He says in John 14 to not leave us as orphans. This is a father that loves you so much, he won't leave you as an orphan. He won't leave you even when he departs. He's going to give you something of him that will remain forever. F.F. Bruce says like this, once the spirit has made his Calvary love overwhelmingly real to a man in inward experience, he is bound to think evermore, if God loves me as much as that, he will love me to the end. If the love of God extends so far as the cross, the torture, the agony, the shame, then my just response is to love him like that through all of my trial, all of my pain, and all of my suffering. Because if, his love, if he loves me as much as that, he's going to love me until the end. That is a hope that does not put us to shame. And when we consider Paul's response, No matter the circumstance, he returns back to rejoicing. He's thankful to God. He boasts in the glory of God. Whether he's rich in blessing or rejoicing in suffering, his hope does not depend on his condition or his circumstance. His hope is based on a God who gives us hope in his glory and hope in our suffering. And when we look back at Abraham, a man justified, By his faith, we remember that his faith first produces peace. And his faith produces access to grace and the presence of God. And that faith produces a response of rejoicing and hope. So whether you're where you want to be on your journey or not, With this perspective, only then can we respond, like Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, and only then can we really give thanks in every circumstance because we know that God has given us hope in every circumstance. So let us rejoice that we have hope that does not, will not, cannot ever let us down or put us to shame because that is the God of the Bible and that is the God that we serve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your mercy and your grace and I thank you that you save us by faith. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit reminding us each and every day that you are very present. That you are alive and active, that you are not dead and buried. Father, let us have renewed hope in you. If you're here tonight and you don't have that hope, perhaps you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you've never prayed the prayer of salvation, or maybe at one point in your life you did, but. Your life doesn't really look like what a Christian's ought to look like. All of these things, peace, access, endurance, character, hope, they only come on the foundation of Christ. If that's you, and you want that hope restored to you, you want to receive Christ as your Savior or get right with God, just raise your hand right now. So we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I see that hand, I see that hand. If you raised your hand, would you pray this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I confess my sin before you and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and that you rose from the dead. I repent and I invite you to come into my heart and my life to give me an eternal hope that will never let me down. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we have a New Believers uh, Bible toolkit for you down front after service. Please come and get that. There'll be people down here to pray for you and help you start your walk with Christ out on the right foundation so that we can build well. Church, thanks for letting me be with you tonight. Be great.